16. And uh, if you uh, have a Bible memory verse you want to share with us, we'll start with that. The Spears are not here today, so they're not going to say. Yes, Janie. on vacation but let's go ahead and we'll go to page 17 lesson four and uh, when we had the study of Ezra earlier this year we talked about this but it's a good thing since we're talking about prayer and Lord teach us to pray and so this is a good reminder and and an interesting uh, angle at all of this uh, and that is God is always enough. We know that, but do we really live like that? So on page 17, we'll start reading, and then we'll look at a lot of Bible verses today. We'll be in Ezra and other places as well. When we come to God with empty hands and hearts fully yielded to him, he is able to do his greatest work in us. Stepping out by faith gives God an opportunity to show us he is enough. The book of Ezra records how God helped Zerubbabel and the first remnant rebuild the altar and the temple. And uh, Ezra continues this narrative by telling us how the Lord helped him return to Jerusalem with another remnant. In the closing part of the seventh chapter, God gathered the chief men to go up to do his work in Jerusalem. When the word of God gives us the names, then the word of God gives us the names of these men in Ezra 8. They stayed in tents by the river for three days, verse 15 says, so that they could pray and seek the Lord. And so we're going to read Ezra chapter 8 we'll start there and at the end of chapter 7 as it says uh, God gathered the chief men and then chapter 8 it says in verse 1 these are now the chief of their fathers and then it lists all the names verse 15 it says and I gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahava and there abode we in tents three days and I viewed the people and the priests and found and, and it goes on there and he talks about what happened after that then verse 21 then I proclaimed a fast there, still at that same river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for our substance. When it says afflict, it means fasting. And we'll see that in a little bit. Verse 22, why? Why was he doing this? Verse 22, for I was ashamed to require of the king a, hand, a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way. Why was he ashamed? Because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon us, upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. He said, I was ashamed to turn around and tell the king that we needed his assistance, because I just got done telling him that the king of kings can take care of us. Verse 23, So instead of asking for a handout, or for a grant, or for assistance from the government, <clears throat> We fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. That's what it means by afflicted. For three days, they, he said, we need to fast and pray and ask God to prove himself to ourselves and also to the king that he really is sufficient, as the verse that Janie quoted. He is sufficient. So then verse 31 and verse 32 of Ezra 8, it says, Then we departed from the river Ahava, on the twelfth day of the first month to go into Jerusalem and the hand of our God was upon us and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and of such as lay in wait by the way and we came to Jerusalem and abode there three days <clears throat> so this remnant verse 23 entreated God 
They entreated him. They relied on God and no one else. You see that same word in Psalm 119 and verse one, verse 58. Psalm 119, I'm going to read it here in verse 58. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. That word entreat. God desires the preeminence in our life. Colossians 1.18 says that he is to have the preeminence. He is the head. And he is to be preeminent over everything. What happens if they ask the king for help? Would the king have helped them? Probably. But then what would that tell the king? That he's preeminent. That even these Christians have to ask him for help because he's really the preeminent one. And it would also teach all of them that they need to go to the human king for help instead of trusting the Lord. Now, it's not that God didn't ever use kings to do something for his people, but Ezra knew that this was a bad testimony of what he had just told the king, how that God would take care of them and they trusted God. So trusting that he is enough allows him to be the one and only source to meet all our need. We are we will call ourselves an independent church. We're independent. And, 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 of course, being in America, independence is something that we pride ourselves in unfortunately but there is one area that needs to not be independent and that is when it comes to our relationship with god we have to be dependent i like to say independent of man but dependent on god we have to trust in him and 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 prove to ourselves i guess but to our family uh that that it is god that we trust in that's why it says the lord is my shepherd because if there's ever a dependent creature on the face of the earth, it was a sheep. And and we need a shepherd, and, and we're all, we are all like sheep. So trusting that he is enough allows him to be the one and only source to meet all our need. When we have the hand of the Lord upon us, we do have all we need. Again, uh, it says there in verse 31, and the hand of our God was upon us. The end of chapters twenty, chapter 7, verse 27 it says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me. And I gathered together out of, all, out of Israel chief men to go up with me. This whole thing reminds me of Genesis. I think it's chapter, I think it's chapter 18. Maybe I've got that wrong, but it's somewhere in, in there in Genesis where, um, no, it's 14. I think it's chapter 14 where Abraham rescues Lot after Lot moved into Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, then all of a sudden Sodom and Gomorrah were under attack and, and Lot and all the people of Sodom were uh, captive. Abraham hears about it. He runs to the rescue. This is before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. He runs to the rescue and he captures everybody and conquers everything and he he delivers for the sake of his nephew lot and he brings lot back and and all of the spoils and the king of sodom says to abraham listen you deserve to have the spoils i mean you rescued us you saved our lives you deserve to have the spoils you deserve to be the rich one here and abraham said nope i only want what my men ate and that's it because i don't want you all in the land of canaan to say that you made me rich I don't want it to be said that you're the ones that made Abraham who he is. I, I need it to be God that, said, that does that and he, that he gets the glory and the credit. God is always enough. But you'd be surprised at even how many Christians 
don't really believe like that. And I'm included in that. We don't always think of God first when we have an emergency. We don't always think of God first when we need something. But he is always enough. And uh, on page 18 of our book, it says God is always previous. What does that mean? Well, Revelation 1 verse 8 says that he is the Alpha and Omega. Alpha is the letter A in Greek. Omega is the last letter of the alphabet in Greek. And the Bible's telling us he is the Alpha. He is the beginning. Uh, he is the author and finisher of our faith. In the beginning, God already was. God is always previous. God is never late. No, nothing ever takes him by surprise. He doesn't wake up late and find anything. God is always previous. And by him, all things consist. We, we mentioned Colossians 1.18. Let's go to Colossians 1, verse 15. And we'll read those verses all together now. Colossians chapter 1. And verse 15, it says, Who is the image, talking about Jesus, of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the pre eminence he's previous to everything he's he's in control he's in charge he is, he was there before there was uh and then jonah chapter 2 verse 9 it just simply says uh salvation is of the lord our christian life begins with god uh, our salvation is of the lord salvation does not start with you i said wednesday night if you started your salvation you're in big trouble because you and i can't keep anything forever we're human but Jesus Christ is the beginner of salvation. And Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. And so we need him to be the one who is, uh, begins us. Our Christian life begins with God. If you didn't begin with God, uh, you, didn't, you, you didn't get saved. You're not saved yet. You need to be born again. Uh, and so then Ephesians chapter 2, verse, nine, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Some religions are teaching that you work your way into salvation and that you earn God's favor and merit. That's not what the Bible says. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. If you are in love with God, I promise you this, he loved you before you loved him. You found out that he loved you before you ever even knew who he was. Uh, he lo we love him because he first loved us. He's the instigator. He's the starter. Uh, he begins it all. So once we have begun walking with God, we find he alone is sufficient to sustain us. And this is the verse that Janie quoted a little bit ago, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. And she said it real quiet, and so you might not have heard it. So let me read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Not that we are sufficient, of ourselves to any to think anything as of ourselves boy these that's not an american verse right there I'm, i know i'm picking on america a little bit now, i love america and i'm and and i'm thankful for the independence and the self i mean i but see the problem is is there's nothing wrong with saying you're dependent on god there's a huge problem when you say you're dependent on government all right that's that's our problem in america today is we're not independent like we say we are 
But one, one de- once upon a time, we were independent people because we were dependent on God. And we have learned to not be dependent on God, but to be dependent on something else. And here it says, 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. The sufficiency that we have, he alone is sufficient to sustain us, and he alone that we must trust in and rely upon. Um, I'm thankful I'm not super rich. Now, there are certain days I wish I was. But overall, I'm thankful that I'm not. Let me show you a verse, two verses in the Bible that I've kind of claimed as some special verses for me. Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. There's lots of days where I wish I had just a a big wad of cash to fix my problem. I'm sure I'm not the only one in here. Lots of days I wish I was born in, you know, in one of those kinds of families. Uh, but Proverbs chapter 30 and verse number 7 says, Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. This is a prayer to God from a man named Agur. Verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. I can understand why you would pray, please don't make me poor. I I get that one. But, But not just give me neither poverty, but please don't give me riches either. Whoa, what's up with that? Verse 9, lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. I don't, I don't, envy people who are so rich they don't need God do you you know why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to get to heaven they never need God they think so think about that think about how that you are blessed to not be super rich you have all you need in God himself he is enough he is all we need so then Here on page 18, we have some points today. When God is enough, he provides all our need. When he is enough, he meets the need. The remnant that returned with Ezra could have had trained soldiers escort them back to Jerusalem. That was the problem. The problem they had was they had enemies who were threatening them. And Ezra was saying, I don't want to just ask the king for help all the time because I want to prove our God to even him. I want people to understand that our God is enough. And so uh, he he basically told the king, our God is enough. And Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. Our God is enough and he can supply and meet our need. Our God can supply the need and does. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now when I was a, a young person, the first time I thought of that, I thought, I don't want God? Because that's how it looks, right? No, the Lord is my shepherd, and therefore, because he is my shepherd, I shall not want. He takes care of me. I'm a sheep. He meets my need, and a shepherd named David wrote that. He understood how sheep think and how they operate. Then Matthew 6, 31, verse 233. We sing 633 all the time, but 
in Sunday school, Matthew 6, 31 to 33, he, he says it this way. Jesus said concerning needs and, uh, and, and, and being cared for, and he was telling them in, in 631, take, therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Now it's not saying don't ever go to the grocery store because it'll just plop down in your lap. But it's saying don't be overly thoughtful or concerned or, or, or you know, just one day at a time. The prayer is give us this day our daily bread. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things that we tend to think about and worry about shall be added unto you. Seek first. He provides all our need. When God is enough, he provides all our need. So the the key is to know you're doing what he said to do. To know you're where he says to be, going in the direction you're going in. I I don't I don't brag a lot or 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 do enough patting on the back um uh, because I'm afraid that it will have the reverse effect. But it has been encouraging to see my son, who's trying to get a house put together, having some amazing things fall into place for him. And what that is encouraging is, is that, oh, he's lucky, you no, know, that somebody is watching out for him. Somebody's previous to him. Somebody's saying, you do this, and I'll guide that. Now, is he working hard? Is he falling asleep? In the middle of eating his food, yeah, he's tired. He's working hard. But God is providing and helping him along the way and blessing. And that's what, that's what we need to learn. We, we all need to come to that learning and that understanding that it is God who is my shepherd. It is God who is the one that I need. God promises to provide all our need. This does not mean that we do not need to work. No matter how much you work or how many things you seek after, you're never going to succeed in life until you give God his rightful place. He needs to be preeminent. You need to remind yourself and remind everyone around you that God is the one who I need more than anything else. When God is enough, he provides all our need. And so in prayer, we need to understand God is enough. God is the one I need to go to first and foremost. Then when God is enough, he gets all the glory. When God is enough, so we go back to Ezra 8 and verse 22. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us, to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his powers and his, and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. And so I... I wanted to show that he truly is enough because if I can show he is enough, then he gets the glory. Why is it that God allowed Moses and the people of Israel to go to the dead end of the, of the Red Sea? Why? Because he wanted to prove that it was their God. It was their God that led them through the, the Red Sea on dry ground. It was their God that did it. wasn't Moses' strategy and, and military might. They didn't go hire mercenaries to fight their enemies? No, they just had God and he was enough. He, and when that happens, then he gets all the glory. When, when Moses and the people get to the other side of the shore, it's praise God. No one else could have done this. That's how it should be in our life too, is that God gets the glory because, because he's enough and 
we proved him to be so. Ezra admitted that he was ashamed to ask the king to send protection for their journey. He believed God had initiated their return, and he did not want to rely on the king's army to get them safely to Jerusalem. And therefore, by doing that, he gave glory to God and proved God to the, the heathen king. Then God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I love this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Doing lots of flipping this morning as we're going all over the place talking about this topic. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is, this is some great verses here. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 1 of 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Why does God allow a shepherd boy with a sling to kill a giant to, to show that God is enough? I think God helped David that day. I'm sure David was good with a sling, but it was God. Why does God allow Gideon to win a battle with nothing but a torch and a pitcher and trumpet? Why does God do that? Because he wants to prove to everyone that it's really him so that he'll get the glory and he'll be the one that people are amazed at. I, I hope that there's not so much talent and human ability in this church that people forget who it is that's enough. It's okay if we're not perfect. We should strive to do our best and, and honor the Lord in what we do. But it's okay to not be perfect in performance because it's not a performance. It's about God being enough. When God's enough, marriages will honor the Lord. When God is enough, churches will keep going forward with the gospel. When God is enough, preachers will preach with boldness, not worrying about who he's going to offend or step on their toes. When God is enough, we trust him. You know, there's always in the back of our minds, well, what happens if so-and-so dies and so-and-so dies and they stop coming to church because they're in heaven and they don't give in the offering plate anymore? Is God enough or not? Who's who's running the show? Who's funding it? Is God enough? And if he's enough, he gets all the glory. I hope it's said, and I don't mind this. I don't know how things get done out there because that pastor's a doofus. The answer is, you're right, but God's enough. I don't know how things out there, get done out there because that church doesn't seem like that. I mean, that's okay. God is enough. I can't believe. Did you know so-and-so goes to that church? And do you know what they used to be? It's okay. God's enough. And he is enough. We will make a difference in this world when we allow Christ to make the difference in us. It's not about them being impressed with us. I know I appreciate some of you who regularly after church will say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. And I know you mean that. But honestly, it really tells me that it's a good sermon when you say pastor that was a great savior you talked about today that's a great god we have that you were talking about today if 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 it's if it's just us god's not getting the glory but if he's enough he gets all the glory and we'll make a difference when we allow christ to make the difference in us so then joshua chapter four 
Joshua chapter 4. Another place we go where we see this this understanding that God is enough. Joshua 4 and verse 21. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? God had had each tribe gather us a big stone. And they were to put them in the river Jordan. Then ye shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you until you were passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up from before us, until we were gone over, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that ye might fear the Lord your God forever. You know why we're supposed to have memorials to point to God? There's some wonderful true stories of our nation's history and how that God miraculously provided for our our people back in the day. There's the story of George Washington as a young man who uh, it's called the bulletproof George Washington and George Washington himself wrote a letter back to his mother saying every other officer was killed in battle but me I had two horses shot out from under me I had bullet holes in my clothes and yet Providence capital P Providence protected me one Indian chief in that battle met him 15 years later and said I just wanted to meet the man whom the great spirit is protecting. I personally shot at you 15 times and I finally told my braves to quit shooting at him. The great spirit's protecting him. Did you hear that in your history class when you were in school? You know why? Because somebody out there doesn't want us to look up and remember that God is enough. That's what made America great because we knew who, who was really making America great. We knew who where it was coming from. But today we are proud of ourselves but Psalm 100 says, it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. So this is we, what we need our children to understand and our grandchildren, that it is God who did it. That's why they put the stones there to remind as a memorial, it was God who dried this water up so we could go across. God is enough. And so that our children will learn to trust the same God as well. And mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, you know why sometimes you and I have struggles? so that our kids will see God is really enough. There's probably parents with children right now, and you're thinking, why, God, why does it have to be hard? Why can't you just make it easy? Because your children need you to demonstrate to them God's enough, and he's going to answer prayer so that when the prayer is answered, your children will say, that was a miracle, and God did it. That's why he does it. Because naturally, I won't make it hard me, this guy right here, I will find the easiest way. That's just, this is me. And so God says, no, no, if you do it the easy way or you, or you go get some of this help from here, your kids will never learn. And you don't want to teach your kids the hard lesson because it'll be hard on you. So I'm going to make it hard on you on purpose just so that you will know and they will know that I'm the way to get it done. God's enough. So then when God is enough, he empowers our testimony. That's the thing, see? We don't have a testimony without God proving that he's enough. While Ezra and the remnant were traveling, they reminded each other, the Lord is with us. And that's the lie of the devil, that he's not with you. He forgot you. God had illustrated this for them in the account of the children of Israel 
journeying to the promised land. In Exodus chapter 13, I've already talked about the Red Sea story, but this is where it's at. Exodus 13, verse 21 and 22. It says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God led them all the way, just like a shepherd with sheep. All they had to do was follow. After you see Moses and the people cross the Red Sea, you're like, wow, Moses, you are a brilliant military strategist. That was awesome. And Moses says, I was just following the cloud. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just following the cloud. And the cloud went that way, and that's the way we went. God's enough. And it empowers our testimony. Because in saying, saying, Moses, you're an awesome military strategist, you say, Moses, you had enough faith to follow God. And that was the testimony. The remnant that returned with Ezra wanted to be helped by God in the same way. They begged God to show them the way. And God was entreated of them. When God is enough, they fasted and prayed for three days. God, please show us. We need to fast and pray. There are just times in our life where we just need to stop and afflict ourselves and fast and pray and ask God to show us the way. And then God is entreated. When he sees their seriousness in our humble heart, he's entreated. And when God is enough, we know we cannot do it on our own. And he empowers our Christian testimony. And people are encouraged and impressed with our God and how he used us. God is enough. My good friend here, Dallas, is going to be needing a job in a month. Dallas, God's enough. Dallas says, well, I'm lousy. I'm not very good. You're right, Dallas. You're not. Neither is the rest of us in this room. But God's enough. See, God's enough. And, and the testimony is to point people to God and to prove that God is enough. God will supply and meet our needs. Now, we just celebrated the other night on our hope ministry on Friday. We just celebrated over 90 days of Dallas being sober, not, not having alcohol or drugs, whatnot. Praise God for that. God's enough. God is always enough. And we need to trust him. Now, we don't, we don't say, well, oh, I've conquered that now. No, because if we start thinking that way, we're going to fall flat on our face. But we just say dependent. I hate being dependent on anything. I don't even like a cell phone contract. I'm just, I pay my cars off as fast as I can. And if I get hail, I'm like, praise the Lord, now my car's paid off. That's just how I think. I mean, I, I hate payments. I hate being dependent. I don't like being dependent on, I don't even like having to take an aspirin or a pill or whatever. I just, I mean, I don't like being dependent. And that's okay. Except for when we're talking about God. I got to be dependent. I can't just pray when it's big. I need to pray every day, all the time, walking with him. So then lastly, when God is enough, he gives us courage. One thing that, that I do know happens when you start to see God is enough and when you start to learn to walk by faith and he starts to prove and it's like, wow, it gives you more courage. What do you think the young officer still in the British army named George Washington learned from that episode of Bulletproof. Courage. 
He wrote his mother and said, God did it. What do you think it did to him later on? Gave him more courage. If we know we're right, we know we're following the Lord, then we can trust him to do like he did it before. You know what's so awesome about knowing the Old Testament stories is to realize it's the same God. Today's God is the same God. The one that split the water in half, same God. He's not the old man upstairs, too too old and crotchety and, 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 and too weak to help us. No, he's the same God and he hasn't aged at all. And when we start to depend on him and see him do it, it gives us courage to see him do more and to trust him for even more. There is a difference between being a Christian and being an unbeliever, absolutely. God says we're a new creature. Second Corinthians 5.17 says old things pass away, all things become new. When you get saved, you are a new person. You think differently. The world does not think the way I'm talking about today. They can't. But Christ gives us courage to attempt things we would not dare attempt without him. You hand an unsaved person a trumpet and a pitcher and a torch like Joshua did, and the unsaved person says, forget it, I'm not fighting with this. But God says, this is how I want you to fight, and this is how we're going to win the battle. Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 says this, Only be thou strong and very courageous. Joshua had followed Moses. Joshua saw what God did with Moses. And Joshua is now telling the people, Only be thou strong, Joshua 1, 7, and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. That's the only time the word success is in our Bible, and it has to do with just keep on following the book. Just keep on meditating on the word. Just keep on trusting and have courage. And verse 9 says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. If you're saved, he's with you. And you can trust him. And you don't have to be defeated. He is enough. And you can have courage and the more you trust him, the more courage you'll end up having. So we must lift up our Lord Jesus so that all men are drawn to him. And that's the thing. Ezra said, if we ask the king for help, we won't lift God up. But if we trust God and are courageous that God is enough, it will lift up our Savior. John twelve thirty two. Jesus said, I need to be lifted up. I'm the one that's enough. Just lift me up. Just lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his way. It's his doing. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If he started it, he'll finish it. Trust him and learn that God is always enough. He's always enough. We, we need to teach that to our children. Just some practical ways. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not saying that anyone's wrong. But for me personally, I can't demonstrate to my child that God is enough if then I need to work overtime on Sunday to meet my needs. 
I want them to know God's enough. It says, put him first and he'll add all these things to you. I want them to understand that we're going to do it his way first. We're going to put him first and trust him to take care of us. God is enough. Back in the old days, in the book of the Old Testament, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they had this manna that came down from heaven. And he said, on the Sabbath day, you're not supposed to go out and get the manna. But the day before, you'll collect twice as much. And you'll have enough to go through that Sabbath day so that you don't collect any. And, of course, some people didn't listen, and they tried to collect on the Sabbath day. And God was trying to show them, I'm enough. Just trust me. I'll supply all your needs. You don't have to do it your way. You can trust me and do it my way. Learn to know that God is always enough and teach it to your children. If you don't learn the lesson, you're not going to teach it to your children, and then they won't know. You've got to set those stones up so that they realize he's God. And my parents were not perfect, but... But they did that, and I started believing it. And I go to Sunday school, and I listen to those stories, and I started realizing that's the same God. That's the same God that did that in the Old Testament. That's the same God that provided that miracle. That's the same God that I have. He is enough. And the more we're challenged to trust him, and we do trust him, then the more our courage will grow, and we'll even trust him more the next time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to be praying to you, recognizing that you're enough. Help us to not say a quick prayer and then run and do our own thing. But rather help us to be a real dependent sheep. Just just trusting and where you show us it's time for us to work and it's time for us to do. Help us to be ready and willing and, and able. But help us to first of all exercise dependence. And to recognize that you are always enough and we must trust you and you alone. And Lord, teach us to pray with that courage and that understanding that we can be a testimony that someone else will see that you really are enough. That our children and and others around us will be amazed at you. And we thank you, God, for this story of Ezra and his example of proving that you're really enough. In Jesus' name, amen.